You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Episode 170 of Locked On Browns. Uh, like I said, guys, we're going to try to get a bunch in here pre-combined. So look, you know, this way we have it. We have everybody's takes. Because look, it's going to change some things. Some guys, oh, well, it shouldn't change much. It does change a lot of things. Uh, you know, once you know you, you have a grade on a player of, you know, I, I think he's really fast. And all of a sudden, whoa, he's really slow. He's a really strong player. He's not. You know, he's agile. He's not. I mean, a lot can change here. Uh, if you want to go back to a John Ross of last year, a Byron Jones from a couple of years ago, who at the time was maybe a top, 100 at best guy threw up a combine number it looked like an olympian for god's sakes that's why the combine is important as it is uh joining us here this evening uh we're going to get in the linebacker class here and you know some guys have responded oh well the browns don't need this the browns don't need that look when you have 100 million in cap space and you've got 12 draft picks there is no position that's off the board you should go by the board if the player is good take him he will find his way into meaningful playing time so we're going to cover every position, guys. I keep telling you that. Joining us here this evening, and give me a second here. It's going to take a little while to go through the resume. From NDT <laughs> Scouting, from FanRag, host of Locked On Sports, host of Locked On NFL Draft. Uh, great guy. Uh, been at it for a while now. Love to see the brand grow and grow. John Ledyard out of Pennsylvania. John, my man, what's going on? How is everything? Hey, going great, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me on, man. Really looking forward to it. We talked for years on Twitter, and I don't know that we've ever been on a show together. I do believe believe this is the first time. Uh, There's been a lot of hits and misses, but you know how it is, John. I'm in a house with three women. You're in a house with two women. Every now and then, you know, you realize where your place is. You don't have a lot of time for things sometimes. It's it's good. It's a good problem to have, though. Oh, it is a fantastic problem because you want to know what, regardless of how many are in there, and even if one of them's giving you a hard day, that means at least one of the others is definitely pro dad or pro husband. Sometimes <laughs> when I'm fighting with the kids, so it goes that way. Uh, what we're gonna get in here, too, guys, a couple of things. Uh, I do want to get in a little bit deeper with you know some of the divisional opponents as we go through the off season. So this is another great spot where John comes in. Uh, John, uh, you know, Le'Veon Bell, obviously, you know, he's pretty adamant, wants his money. Uh, Give you some thoughts here, Steeler-wise. Le'Veon, I'm sure it's going to get worked out. I don't see him leaving Pittsburgh because I think as integral as he is, uh, you know, eventually, you know, whether it's, you know, maybe one more year, Ben's money's probably going to come off the books where it's not going to hurt you as much with a contract maybe that you have at Le'Veon. But give me some thoughts here, Pittsburgh-wise. Yeah, he's definitely going to stay in Pittsburgh. It's just a matter. They'll, they'll tag him here probably right around the time, right around the deadline, um, you know, maybe a couple days before. Uh, both sides feel like they're making some progress from all reports. That's much better news than we had last year at this time. I feel pretty confident that they'll work out something with him, more confident than I felt last year. If not, he'll play on the tag this year, and this might be last year in Pittsburgh, but he's definitely in Pittsburgh for this year. Uh, I don't think any question about that. It's just a matter of whether he'll – They'll come to an agreement and be here long-term or not. He'll probably go on the tag, and then they'll keep working toward a deal. That's my best guess. Um, I think there's a good chance, though, it gets done. It seems like both sides are pretty passionate about working on it, and Bell's been more positive than he was last year about it. So seems like things are moving in the right direction. And I think one of the things that we're going to have to face, and nobody wants to talk about it. I mean, I mean I'm pretty sure we've seen the last of Brian Shazier playing football. So the last thing that the Steelers need is another gaping hole on that team. You know, because, I mean, it's as terrible as it is, and, you know, you just hope for the best for him 
And look, he's made some money. You know, obviously, you know, a quality player could have a life with inside the game. But you know, Pittsburgh doesn't need to lose two caliber players in one offseason like Bell and Ryan. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're right. Shazier was the difference maker on the Steelers' defense. If there was a guy they could count on to make splash plays, be the creator kind of defensively, that was definitely Ryan Shazier's role. But that you know, the, the injury happens. I don't know what his future will hold. I mean, he still remains optimistic. Sounds like he's making tremendous progress, which is great. But this year, certainly, yeah, not in their plans. Can't be in their plans long term. They've got to kind of move on and assess positions and things without him. And so linebacker will be a pretty big need for the Steelers. But you're right, in general, you don't want a ton of turnover because this team, even though it's been frustrating, the window is still there. So trying to keep as many pieces in place right now is what Pittsburgh's really looking to do while also obviously making a couple changes where they had to be made. It's a fine line to walk. I think they've walked it actually pretty well this offseason. If this the, the changes that they've made are going to bear about results, that's what remains to be seen. Uh, but at least on paper, I think that they make sense given this stage. Would have liked to see them move on from their defensive coordinator, but again, stability still matters a lot to Pittsburgh, um, and I think maybe Tomlin had more control in the defense than we thought he did, um, and maybe that's the reason why the defensive coordinator hasn't been let go. Well, you know when it gets sometimes to, you know, it, you know, the push comes to the shove, you know, and you like to kind of see it, you know, me coming from the Cleveland Browns standpoint, where you have a head coach with a record of 1-31, and but it's everybody else's in the building's fault, including 21 quarterbacks, whether it's guys in the front office, but you like sometimes the head coach to say, hey, this is my gig. So if I got to step in here and I don't care if I'm stepping on any toes, this is my show, which we don't get on this side over here in, in Cleveland Browns. Um, obviously, the Todd, Todd Haley's come on over to Cleveland, but give me some thoughts. I mean, at the end of the day, yes, this team was 0-16, but there's, I do believe there's some bright spots here. I, I think the problem is you know, there was a huge disconnect between the front office, between the coaching, uh, between the head coach, it doesn't help that you kind of had a owner who kind of took sides and maybe meddled more than he should have. But you look at the roster over the last two years, and some talent has been addressed and been acquired. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the thing that makes this interesting is the personalities, in my opinion. You know, Greg Williams, Todd Haley, and Hugh Jackson on a coaching staff together. You know, it sounds like a bad joke. What could go wrong? I mean, you have some of the most volatile, you know, Haley and Williams, and people didn't even think of Hugh Jackson in that way until this season where he's throwing players under the bus and not taking blame for anything. And I don't know what happened, man. I, I honestly thought when he went to Cleveland, I thought he was the guy to turn it around, and I could not have been more wrong. Not only is the record a disaster, but the performance on the field, the way that he talks about the players, the way he's handled situations, it's all been a mess, man. It's, it's really unfortunate. I definitely thought it was the guy. I don't understand the move for Todd Haley at all. I mean, he and Hugh Jackson's offenses have looked very, very different over the years. I can't imagine. I never thought Haley would accept the job in Cleveland because I never thought he'd be anywhere he didn't have offensive control. And, you know, whether it was a head coach or as an offensive coordinator with a defensive-minded head coach. So for him to come to Cleveland is just really weird to me. I don't really understand the fit at all. I mean, obviously, there's some talent there. I think Haley's offensive design was great. I think Hugh Jackson did great things in Cincinnati. I have no idea what the merging of those two offensive minds will look like. It's going to be really fascinating to see and fascinating to see how they work things out together as big personalities. Um, I, I don't feel great about it for sure. You know, I like, again, I think Haley's a great offensive mind. I think both of them were abysmal play callers. Well, Hugh Jackson was abysmal and Haley had his ups and downs. There were times where I really liked things, but that was really kind of his undoing that and his relationship with Ben, I think. So, 
and then how that all meshes together with a quarterback that has had I don't know how to really say it with Deshaun Kaiser because I like Deshaun Kaiser but issues in college with Brian Kelly now issues at Cleveland it seems kind of like there's a trend here there's some type of yeah, in some type of level, it's not connecting with coaches. So he, I, at the very least, he's a guy I think that needs a strong rapport with the coach. He needs to be built up, and I'm just not sure that's going to happen coming from what looked like with Hugh Jackson this season and then Todd Haley, who apparently didn't have the best relationship with Ben Roethlisberger. So that fit is just kind of, I don't know. The whole thing on the surface just screams like a disaster waiting to happen. Talent for sure in all phases. Hugh Jackson, Todd Haley, Greg Williams even in the past anyway. Sean Kaiser talent, but the, the 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 meshing of all of it seems like a complete. I mean, just a, it's it seems like it's going to be it's just like a, a a train wreck that's about to happen, and uh, you know you you don't want to look away, but at the same time it's the Browns, you know. I mean, it's I don't know, so we'll see. I mean, we'll see what direction it goes in, but uh, it it has the, uh, the potential to be quite volatile, which will be interesting and give you plenty of fodder to talk about at the very least. Well, I mean, that was one of the most appealing things here, obviously, with all the draft capital they've acquired, with all the draft picks there are. This is a great spot for me, for a guy who loves to talk draft. And here's the <laughs> best part, which you say with all those guys in the room, and Deshaun Kaiser, who's still just to pop himself at 22, hey, let's just go throw another 21-year-old quarterback into the mix here. So, you know, you, you, get, the the you get the worry of Haley's going to have his guy, Hugh's going to have his guy, you know, but Hugh will probably flip-flop on whatever guy is his guy, probably by the day, the week. I mean, it could go from a morning practice to an afternoon. Who knows? So it could make some for, it's going to make for a lot of fun. Um, you hope it's going to hit the ground running because, you know, there's talent here. You know, obviously, if Josh Gordon's in the building, he's one of the top five wide receivers in the game. David Najoku, a, a, you know, a guy with a, a huge, huge ceiling. Can it get used here? You know, Corey Coleman, if he stays healthy, you know, should be able to put up, you know, decent enough numbers to look like a solid one. Number two, Duke Johnson. It's a lot of fun, but, I mean, at the end of the day, these two guys are going to have to find some common ground, and that's going to be the interesting part. It's certainly going to make for some fun. Guys, Locked On uh, NFL Draft, John and Trevor Zakema, they do a fantastic job of the show. Check it out. Uh, obviously, busy as can possibly be right now. Uh, you know, combine coming. Uh, John, you're headed out there. I know that, right? Yes, correct. It should be a lot of fun. Looking yeah. forward to it. Second year in a row. Yeah, so John will be out in Indy again. But, guys, go ahead check out the show, Locked On NFL Draft. Check out Locked On Steelers. John does a fantastic job over there as well. Before we get into the linebacker piece, uh, John, you wrote the piece the other day. Uh, I guess it was last week. And it was the draft cliches. And i got to be honest, it, it was one of the funnier things I've read in a while. It's nice where you can kind of every now and then just pull back, have a little fun with something that you do, and that is exactly what this was. And I still laugh about the Gerard Gerard Holloman. I, you know, I, like I told you, I go back every couple of days just just to get a chuckle. But that you know, but that and that piece. If you guys haven't checked it out, it's up on NDT Scouting. But uh, John, just go a little bit and let everybody know kind of how you came across doing it. Yeah, so it's funny, Jeff. It's been stirring in my head for a long time. I would say even since last draft season just kind of how I wanted to lay it out and you know as a writer sometimes things are always they'll mess around your head for a year before you put them down and so you know it just kind of clicked on me one day and I was like you know what I'll just start putting these down man like to see what happens I didn't even know what it was going to turn into and first I was just making notes and then I turned it into bullet points and added some quotes to some of them and then it became phrases and it became expressions and you know so it just became this big you know database basically of a, a dictionary of draft cliches 
uh, terms and their definitions and and what they what they really mean. You know what I mean? I mean, obviously, I'm being facetious with a ton of it, but um, I think that the generally speaking, that was the goal behind it was let's have some fun with this. Like we obviously all use a ton of cliches. I use them when I write. I use them when I talk. You know, and, and they mean something. You know, I, I honestly think they mean something. It, it's a good way to describe things. People know what you're talking about. But at the same time, I think there are sometimes some hidden meanings to these things that are really funny uh, and that, you know, they kind of make us chuckle in a way. And, and there's some expressions in draft season that we kind of just hear all the time that don't even think about in depth. Like the, I, one of the ones I pointed out was a, a coach or, or more or more than likely a scout or something. You know, you get a quote from a scout, one of the analysts, big analysts or whatever, and they say the kid from whatever university, the kid from Georgia, the kid from Alabama. Um, you know, and it's just kind of ridiculous. Like your your entire job depends on knowing basically everything about that prospect. I mean, they're everything about your your job security, your lifestyle, your career, every ancillary detail about that player. I mean, you're talking about personality stuff and what kind of, what they do in their spare time, how much film they study, all this stuff, and you can't even like retain his name during that moment of conversation. It just is so ridiculous. But it's one of those things in draft season. We hear it all the time. We don't even think twice about it. But it's still so true. So breaking down some of that stuff kind of peeled back the layers a little bit on the process. Let us all laugh about it. But but still appreciate what we do, obviously. It's a lot of fun we do. If we act like there's nothing to laugh about, we're fooling ourselves because there's a ton of funny stuff involved in this. Oh, 100%. And you go down to, uh, you know, and look, I will always love Mel Kuyper. There's a reason that this exists, and it's because of guys like Mel Kuyper. But when you say accuracy is for losers to defend one player... And then you're asked about another player at the quarterback <laughs> position, and the first thing you come with is, well, his accuracy is an issue, and his accuracy was actually better against better competition. <laughs> it's like, come on, you know, and you know, and I love Mel, and look, you know, obviously, you know, his age is, you know, coming in here now. It's it's a lot harder to keep up with the way media has grown, and this entire you know genre of covering the draft has grown. But it's, you, you want to just sit back and be like, Mal, really? Come, buddy, come on, man. You didn't really just do this, you know, within seven days of each other. So, you know, you get to have some fun. And, you know, maybe if there's ever a chance where, you know, we have to, you know, add some, add a page or a note to, you know, accuracy is for losers might want to be one that gets into that draft cliches. But I do want to <laughs> kick on over to the linebackers. And this is the thing. Every year, you know, we get, well, well this is a fantastic draft class or this is a poor draft class. And this is why I love the linebacker piece that you did is, you know, break down each draft. And first things first, when you have a draft class like this, where you are this deep at quarterback, that's going to make for a good draft class. These are, a lot, I mean, there's a lot mm-hmm. of guys that are going to take a lot of snaps. And now, you know, the way you went to depth into this linebacker class, and look, there's a lot of cornerbacks as well. There's a lot of wide receivers. There's not a true wide receiver one, but that's okay. Running back is deep. And then you look at linebacker. Maybe the pass rusher isn't what you want. Okay, every year we're not going to get, you know, 10, 12 pass rushers that are going to come in and be dominant. But you look for the bright spots in every draft class. And I think that's a beautiful spot, which which you did with this linebacker class. Because you look at all of these guys, and, you know, if you want to basic solely on production, and linebackers is one spot where production, in my opinion, is the biggest key. If you can read, you can diagnose, you can get to the ball carrier, you can get to a receiver, you know, that should adapt as long as you have the athletic skills and every year these guys get more and more athletic. So that's why I love this piece. I do want to start, Mr. Roquan Smith out of Georgia, yes, he may be a tick undersized, 
But my lord, John, when I watch this guy, and you know, I'm dating myself here, he's Ray Lewis at the University of Miami. Can run <laughs> for days and doesn't get tired. And he, he's almost smart enough in the fact that he doesn't commit too early to almost, almost run himself into a block because he knows if he commits when the time is right, he's athletic enough and quick enough to still make the play. Yeah, he's a really phenomenal talent. Um, the only issue that I would really say I have with him is that he's not as direct as he could be with blockers, I think, around the box, uh, you know, approaching line of scrimmage and things. He, he does dip around them a little bit, which I think works for him. And I think it can work for him in the NFL, but there will be moments where you got to step in and meet those guys. And I think that that would be the one concern that people have with them. But, re- I mean, the guy made every play on the sideline. It's unbelievable. His range is incredible. His athletic traits are incredible. Um, you know, I think that he's not Reuben Foster. Reuben Foster, to me, is one of the best best players I ever to any position that I ever scouted and probably will be that way for a long time. He's college tape is just straight highlight reel every single game. It's incredible. Um, but Roquan is is the next tier down maybe and that's a pretty good tier still. So this class not an unbelievable class. There's a real good chance he's the best player in the entire class in my opinion. Um, you know certainly a top five player in this class should not get outside of the top ten and I really don't believe that he will. Uh, and also the thing with what I loved and, and I go to the Rose Bowl game because there was a game where you know Georgia's offense was doing enough, and and the game was you know in jeopardy at halftime, and Roquan Smith just went to another level in that second half, and basically said, "Well, look, you know what? I'm going to count on me making almost every play that needs to be made," and you know ultimately tipped the scales. You know was able to you know get some stops, and the offense was able to uh, you know obviously you know turn the scales, get themselves to the national championship. Obviously, it didn't work out like they wanted to. The I almost want to use the term the wildflower here. We're talking about a guy 19 years old, and I'm going to date myself again here because I remember Tremaine Edmonds' father playing tight end for the Miami Dolphins, who was a freak athlete at the time. Just, it was, you know, guys did not run like him at the size he did. But Tremaine Edmonds, my good Lord, first off, he's built almost essentially as, you know, at 19 years old. A year and a half, you're probably talking about you know six foot five to seventy ish, but this guy can move. He's long. He's smart. But go ahead, John. Yeah, he is. He's the real deal. And and I think the one thing about Edmonds that would concern me is that the instincts aren't not as developed as Roquan Smith or even Rashawn Evans. Really, I feel like his his natural ability to read and react. But there was a huge difference between Edmonds at the beginning of the season. In the end of this season, if you watch his games at the beginning of the year, I watched Clemson, I watched WVU. I would just, I just was waiting. Where's the impact plays? You know, he's sitting back, he's on his heels, know, he's getting I reached the second level, and you know, it was kind of just like, wait. So I actually, what I do a lot of time with these guys, if I'm if I'm feeling overwhelmingly negative about a guy that everybody else seems, then people I respect are on the opposite end of the spectrum. And I'll step away for a little bit. I'll go to another player. I'll come back around to him. Watch some games from a different part in the season. And and Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting had said to me, you know, these. He said the guys to, to check out and the games to watch are at the end of the season, watch and see how much he develops. So I went away, came back, fresh perspective, and watched him at the end of the season. I watched three games. I watched Pitt, I watched Virginia, and I watched uh, Oklahoma State. And in those three games, man, every single game was night and day difference. Uh, it was huge, the difference between – not that he wasn't perfect, but it was just a huge difference between his processing, his read, react, go, um, taking off, beating blockers to points, even got off a block once or twice. That's not going to be his strength. But at the same time, range for days, 
He matched up better in coverage in those games. I think that there will be some issues with him in man coverage always there. His change of direction is a little more limited than Roquan's. That's not saying much because Roquan has little jetpacks in his ankles. But at the same time, Edmonds just kind of will struggle a little bit more with man coverage. But he does have the speed to carry things vertically down the seams and, and, and you know, Tampa 2 type stuff, carry the middle of the field. I think that he can do a lot of really good things for a defense. I have an early second round or second day two grade on him, which you put him in the second round. Um, and that's kind of in a vacuum grade. If you're a team that needs a linebacker in the first round, I'm not going to have 32 first round picks. So, you know, him going in the first round isn't an issue for me at all. I think there's still a ceiling to be reached with Edmonds, too, that isn't there yet. So that's encouraging for an NFL team that can get more out of him. Yeah, and that's kind of one of the things. I mean, you look at him at 19 years old, and you know, some of the concerns you may have, you know, there's going to be guys in the room, well, do you want him to be absolutely perfect at 19 years old? I mean, he's 19, for God's sakes. So, you know, there's going to be some things. Um, the other thing I do like is you, you got to think that there's going to be a bit, you know, you're going to be able to use some pass rusher things with him as he grows. And, you know, look, at 19 years old and the way he is within his body, there's no way he's 100% comfortable in that large frame yet. So there's, a, you know, there's a lot of untapped stuff. And I do think he will go round one. Because a lot of people are going to say, you know what, I know what I can do with him now, but my God, I want every part of what he might be, you know, 22, 24 games into his NFL career. So, you know, that's, that's why he is going to probably, you know, he is, I would say, top 25 at worst, that would be my guess. Uh, I want to shift on over to the two Bama guys. Um, we always, the Bama guys, I, I think at times are easy because you know what you're getting. You don't really... There's never a you know a, a thing where we look at a Bama guy and say well in a year or two because you know, they're down there with Nick and that type of thing you know obviously Sean Deion, uh, Deion Hamilton with the injuries Rashawn Evans but these guys solid solid players and you know Hamilton as long as the injuries are is something that's in the rear view these guys you know long term starters and probably kind of almost plug and play even though Hamilton will get drafted later. Yeah, it is. They're, they're, Hamilton is kind of the thinker and not the attacker as much. And Evans was more the attacker and less the thinker, and that changed a lot this year. He became a little more equal in both. You know, he, Last year when he got onto the field, I think he started two games, both in the college football playoff, and he was really good. But then there were also some really like, whoa, this guy is just out of control. He was just crazy energizer bunny type, and he's going to test really well. And he's you know definitely a first-round type prospect, in my opinion. He's my number two linebacker after Roquan. I just think when you get Evans, you're getting the enforcer. You're getting the guy that can blitz. You're getting a guy that's going to crack blockers, uh, that's going to step down if he plays on the edge, take on pullers. Um, he's just never going to back down from anyone. Uh, that's his mentality. That's the way he plays the game. He's also a smart, well-spoken guy, leader, a quality guy in the locker room. I think that he's just going to be it's similar in some ways to Jared Davis, except I think he's further ahead of where Jared Davis was coming out last year already. And this is only Evans' first year as a full-time starter. So just a really, really good football player and, and still has some uh, some development to, to undergo. So, again, there's a ceiling there. Deion Hamilton probably closer to ceiling, struggles to get off blocks, not as instinctive and in get into attack mode as Evans is. Uh, but at the same time, smart football player. I thought he had some good qualities in coverage. I still think he looks like a good athlete, even after the torn ACL. Now, I know he has the fractured kneecap now, so we'll see what happens in his recovery from that. But I still think he looks like a very good athlete. He's just going to be smaller. There's going to be two significant leg injuries in his past. Um, he's probably not going to be able to test, I would just guess. Uh, we'll see if he does. Maybe a pro day. I don't know uh, what his recovery is looking like. But 
and uh, I think there's enough issues with them getting off blocks and um, struggling to, with tackling a little bit uh, at times. You know, there were some times where he missed things um, that I think the concerns will be enough to push him into day three, especially at a position that doesn't have a ton of value and then it's a deep class. I think he will end up going in day three, but at the very least, this guy's going to be a spud, stud special teamer for you got for whoever team takes him. And I think he can develop into a starter, at least a situational type starter uh, for teams that, that kind of rotate their linebackers and play guys, a couple different guys. I think he has at least that much ability because his range and his ability to do a couple different things, I think he will be able to cover and do some things if he gets a little bit of coaching on technique and, and, and what to look for, I think, as, as in man coverage. He, I think he can give a team a lot of different things. So both really, really good football players. Obviously, Evans is better, uh, but both guys that can help a team at the next level. Plus, they both move into the NFL, and they don't have to worry about what their defensive line is doing. You know, they play with guys who are going to play in the NFL. They understand assignment football. And, you know, like you said with Evans, he will take on a puller because you want to know what? You're not going to play him down for Nick Saban unless you do what you were told to do. Guys, Locked On MLB is pretty much up and running almost every team. And one of the best things for us, you know, and I'm sure John will agree, is it's good to have some baseball back because this is going to speed up the process to get us to the draft. Need something to fill the time here now. I'm not a big college basketball guy. I need some everyday substance to get me going here. So Locked On MLB, guys, check it out. Almost every team is up and running. Like I said, every team will be up and running by opening day. So check out the uh, Locked On MLB network. All right, John, uh, I want to go here to... uh, This is kind of the wild card here because... What I see, some people are very high, some people are, you know, middle ground. Leighton Van Der Esch out of Boise State. And it's kind of funny now that we're in an era where it's kind of okay that guys from Boise State are free and out guys. They leave early. It just kind of shows the program that it's become out there in Boise. Yeah, it really is funny. You know, Van Der Esch, some people didn't think he would come out because he only had the one year as a starter, but he's he's an interesting player, I think. Um there are flashes where you feel like, okay, he's getting it, and then there's just too many chunk plays on top of each other where he's just hanging back and not seeing things and getting reached to the second level, getting pinned down. And once once blockers get on him, he's a longer guy but not very strong right now. Uh, he needs to definitely improve. I think that there's some work that needs to be done with Van Der Esch. I, so there's people talking about him moving himself his way into the back end of the first round. I just don't see that at all with his game. I think he is talented. I think there is somewhat of a ceiling there. I don't think he's this elite athlete that you're just going to take a shot on in the first round, you know, just based on pure potential. I think he's a solid athlete. There's not going to be any concerns there except maybe in man coverage. Again, I don't think his change of direction is that great as stop-start ability, and he also never really played it. I don't think I, I, I think I watched five games of Mavoisey. I never saw him in man coverage one time, and I think a lot of that's because they blitz him a ton, but he's terrible at blitzing. So that's the, the question for Van Der Esch is what's the role for him on third downs? Because there's not a lot of experience there in man coverage. He can summon zone. I think he can be fine in zone. Uh, so if that's okay with your team, he stays out there for those types of reps, but he also is not going to give you anything really as a pass rusher. So how do you use him on those situations? And he's not really the definition of a thumper, like a true really good quality down and distance guy. Um, you know that's going to come in in those situations, short yardage stuff like that. So he has the he projects to a full time role, I think. But I do think there'll be more limitations than people think if they're giving him a first round value. I don't think he's that caliber of a player, but I think he will be a solid football player in the NFL if he gets in the right situation, a little more coaching and a little more development. Yeah, he, he, he and from what I, I had somebody on the other day, and what they had mentioned is 
maybe it was you know it was time to go because maybe he was tapped at Boise and he's going to need to go somewhere where you know they're going to have to say look it's you know it's now or never you're going to have to do A B and C which is missing from your game so maybe it was okay you know, maybe it was a smart move on his part uh, he's going to be a guy to watch whether or not it was the correct move for him but you know at the end of the day it's regardless here we are and he's here Malik Jefferson out of Texas USC, there were a ton of flashes, but for a guy who came in as highly touted as he came into Texas, there were times where it wasn't, but also you wonder, you know, the state of the program, when he committed to Texas, it seemed like, you know, this was going to be the rebirth, and obviously it wasn't the rebirth, because now here we are, you know, to a, you know, obviously another coaching change was made, and so maybe he was in a tough spot and just felt it was the best time to go. But, you know, I watched, you know, USC is a game that stood out to me where, you know, maybe he's a guy when he gets into the limelight, you know, the lights go on and he brings it all. But there are times where he didn't always bring it all. Yeah, that's the tough part with Malik Jefferson is that there are enough situations where he was on the backside or at the core of the formation and there's a screen pass out in the flat and it generally looks well defended to him. And so maybe you don't bust your tail, maybe you don't get over there, and then a guy breaks a couple tackles and you wish you had. And so there's just way too much of that with Jefferson. Definitely a guy that needs a fire lit. But if you notice late in games, he, when the games were close, man, that fire was lit and he was playing a lot better. And, you know, he made some good plays late in the game against USC and against some outside zone runs and finding gap and getting through. And, you know, he has great tools. He's just slow to recognize. You know, the diagnostic skills aren't really developed yet. Uh, I do think he, I do think he has real talent though. Like I don't, I know some people like totally out on Malik Jefferson. I'm not one of those people. I, I really think he can be better in the NFL. My biggest concern was I wish he played as hard as like Rashawn Evans does all the time. That would be or Roquan Smith does all the time. That would be like if I if I saw that from him, I would probably feel a lot more comfortable taking him in the top fifty. I don't, and so I need, teams need to really dive deep on him. You know, is is he the guy that's going to go the extra mile? Because he isn't there yet, and he can be—I don't want to say a bust—but he cannot live up to his potential if he doesn't get there. Um, because there's a lot of potential there. I think his range is very good. I thought he had some coverage reps that looked very good. Um, when he does hit, man, and that's the thing. Sometimes he does bring it. It's not like his guy sleepwalks through every game. He brings it for portions of games, and usually when the action's anywhere around him, it's not like he's taking plays off. He just the motor just isn't there that some of these other guys have. That you know the the undying ability to make every play doesn't seem like it's there. And you know I think generally speaking, he's a guy that used as a blitzer a lot. He played on the edge. He has the size. I think he could play there situationally. He's not as refined as Evans is as a pass rusher, but you know I I still think that this is a guy that can help your football team on all three downs if you get him right mentally maybe that's just playing will maybe he starts off as a will and develops into a mike you'd love him as a mike obviously you know today's nfl there's a lot less of a difference uh, or a lot less it matters a lot less i think because teams are spreading it around so much throwing the ball so much uh, you are having less linebackers on the field as it is so the main thing is the guy has the ability to play all three downs if you can get the other stuff right it's kind of funny how the way you describe this because i had in college, I had two te- you know two teammates. They were good friends. Both competed every week to play at Mike. And the problem was is one of the guys was the I want the one to two big hits when we're watching film each week. And they used to go at it. They did not get along. And the guy I was closer with was like, well, "That's great. You had two big hits. I had 15 tackles. I was in on 15 mm-hmm. tackles. You had two big hits." 
like the linebacker mentality is you want to be in on every single stop. And you know, that's what you want to see, you know, and with a guy like Jefferson, that's gonna to need to apply. You know, you know, who can oh four solo tackles, that's great. You know, did, did you get in on twelve unassisted? You know, and that's what you want to see because you know the linebacker mentality is to be in on every single stop. We're gonna shift on over to the BYU guy here, and I'll be honest, I didn't know much about him, knew the name. You were, uh, you know, one day you started, you know, busting up the film, throwing up this stuff on Twitter, and I'll tell you right now, he can move, Mr. Fred Warner. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, he's a very talented football player. He is not getting a lot of buzz. Probably, I mean, the BYU thing has something to do with it. You know, it wasn't the greatest Everybody season Everybody gets for a, power eye, a power five bias. They do. And then all of a sudden, yeah. if he does have a good combine, now all of a sudden, you, you'll, you'll watch. The BYU film will be coming out everywhere. And the other thing that makes Fred Warner difficult is that he is an edge defender. He played on the edge at BYU or as a big slot, like an overhang type defender and not as an off-ball linebacker the vast majority of the time and he's not but he never rushed the passer so what do you do with a 6'3 235 pound slot defender or edge defender who never rushed the passer that becomes the difficult part with fred warner you have to project some of those instincts behind the line of scrimmage because he will be playing off-ball linebacker in the nfl for sure now immediately he comes on and he's a guy that can give you Production on passing downs. He had seven interceptions, broke up a ton of passes. I think 13 his past two years. He, he has really good click and close off. Make, I mean, he moves like a safety, for real. But he's 235 pounds and he's 6'3". Legit. I mean, the guy is going to be great at the combine. I think he's going to run really well. Four fives, high four fives, low four sixes. He's going to run in that type of range, I think. Uh, if he was in the four fives, I'm ecstatic, uh, you know, because I really think that that can be a range that, that really catches people's eyes. Um, you know, he's, he's a great kid. Uh, there are he takes on blockers really tough. There are times when the plays are away from him, again, that I think he, you know, he coasts a little bit maybe. Um, but he's a physical football player. There's no question there in my end. I know some people question that. I don't question that at all. There's, there's tons of examples of him as a player. He's one of the best players in the class at getting off blocks, and that's something that Malik Jefferson struggles with, Tremaine Edmonds struggles with, um, Sean Dion Hamilton struggles with, Fred Warner, Rashawn Evans, in my opinion best student in the class getting off blocks and warner's you know just uses length really well approaches in a physical pass fashion great punch you know so and again he's played on the edge so he's used to contact at the line of scrimmage that's going to help him at the next level in terms of being able to get off blocks and he's really well built already so i think a guy with his natural traits now one of the things that stood out to me was i liked his natural traits i had no idea how he was going to project to a totally new position where mental processing is like you said at the beginning mental processing is everything so how is he going to project to that type of position? So I watched him in Mobile very closely, and then I studied his tape from the team sessions in Mobile. Dude was reading and reacting to keys, catching pullers, slanting through gaps, playing aggressive, playing downhill, taking on blockers, taking on blockers by dipping his shoulder and running through his gap, shooting gaps and getting into the backfield. And you could tell it was clicking for him. You could, there was this energy about him, a bounce in his step after plays. He, I'm not going to lie. He's a risk. He's definitely a risk to project because there is so much mentality to playing that position. And he's not going to go probably where I have him go unless he really does kill the combine, which he very well could. So maybe he, we do end up here in his stock skyrockets and he ends up being in the second round. I think he's probably going to go in the third round somewhere. Uh, and I think he has the tools to become a starter, though. I mean, physically, athletically, mentally, I think that he's there. Um, there's some projection level to it. There's some risk to it. There's some guys every year where you just say, I'm taking the risk. I think the things I need to see are there. And to me, that's why he's my, he was my linebacker four. He was almost my linebacker three. He's not very far behind Tremaine Edmonds for me. 
uh, in my grades, and uh, I think that he deserves to go probably he, – he's probably going to be somewhere in my top 30, 40 players on my board. Interesting. Now, the Wisconsin, and I hate to butcher a last name, Jack Cicci. Cicci. Cicci, yep. Well, it's odd when you get an Italian kid in Wisconsin. They're not supposed to be out there in middle America. <laughs> They're supposed to be over here on the East Coast closer to me, John. Um, but, you know, obviously, you know, the, the ACL, I, I, I'm not sure if he's working out or if he is. But, you know, obviously you got to think day three because there's not much on him. But, you know, produced, solid producer at Wisconsin the time he was there. You know, but here he is. It, it, it's going to be tough. And, you know, day three steal, you would think. Yeah, I mean, I think so. I think he's definitely going to go day three unless the medicals are great. Now he could he could work out. That's the the X factor with with uh, Cici is that he could end up working out. I think because the injury was so far removed, it might not be at the combine, but he got hurt in the beginning of August, I think. So we're a long way away. Um, you know, so by the time his pro day rolls around, that might be a possibility for him. Maybe a private workout, something like that. He may be able to do some things. At the very least, they're going to have a really clear picture of his recovery at that point. So the injury may not affect him as much. He has a chance to go in round three maybe if he's able to work out, do a good workout. He's still a little bit raw um, coming out, So I'm, well, and he's an older guy. So do you want that? Not not old, but, you know, he's a little bit older. So I don't know. And that's going to be the hard part with Cici is that other stuff. But on the tape, very aggressive, very physical football player. I think he's still in terms of mental processing, still learning in terms of beating blockers to spot, spots. And I don't know whether he's man cover traits. I think he can be a very solid linebacker you know, for people. I just don't know whether he's going to be a star. You know, I thought this guy's an early second round pick. He could be a real stud, you know, with another year of development. Then that didn't happen because he missed the year of development. Uh, now there's the injury. So it becomes you're a year older, you didn't get that playing experience. Now you're going to be two years removed from playing in your last game. You had serious injuries. At that point, you throw your pack, you know, and I mean, he's a tough kid. He finished the game with a torn pack. And if you sack on people with one arm, he, he literally had a swim move with his bat or with his side of his body with that torn pack uh, on an Iowa guy. I mean, he just. He's a grinder, man. He's uh, he's a true Cleveland Wisconsin football player. <laughs> but at the same time, you know, I think that this is a, that a lot of teams are really going to like in the interview process. They're going to look how physical he is. At the very least, he's a stud on special teams. But I really think he can develop into a starter for a team if they're patient and he gets the right coaching. He's not right now, maybe, but I think he has that type of ability to be a starter for an NFL team. And that's the thing. Look, I mean, you know, when you get to doubt, you know, day three, it's value. And, you know, like I said when we started this show, you know, Cleveland may uh, not be in the market for a linebacker. You've got 12 picks. If I'm Cleveland, I'm making every one of them. You know, you look round four, you have picks. Round five, you have picks. If a guy like this is there, and even if it's a, you know, look, we'll slowly phase him in, there is no reason not to dip your toes into a water with play like CG. So, but, John, before I let you go here, you know, being realistic, Let's you know break Cleveland's hearts. What what do you want for Pittsburgh at round one? Give me a name. Give me a guy that you think, man. If this guy, if it goes right, he should be here. This is what Pittsburgh really needs. I think I would love to see it be Rashawn Evans. I'm trying to think realistically. I think that he's the one it's that has possible. a shot. Absolutely. It's, yeah, he has a shot to slide there. I mean, linebacker is undervalued. If he doesn't. You know, if he runs in the four sixes, I don't know if that's going to happen. But maybe, I mean, maybe I don't know. Um, you know, I still think. But it's there is that Bama shot. thing too, because there are some people that say, "Well, you know what? I know I'm getting a player that this is what he is, and this is what we talked about. He's he's maxed at where he is, which is certainly good enough. You know, obviously Nick Saban's resume is you know 
he's not hurting them. So that's not right. Right. No, I mean for sure. I mean there's when I when I look at Rashawn Evans, I think a guy that fits with the Steelers not only in terms of skill set but also in terms of mentality and obviously filling a massive need. I would go so far as to say there's so few needs with the Steelers if linebacker is still the primary need um, or if it would be safety whatever it might be if they address one or the other in free agency they really don't have that many other needs you can get them with later round picks guys that you need mainly depth pieces Um, and this is their window so I'd go be aggressive get the guy that you want trade up in the first round give up some picks you're not I mean you're probably not giving up next year's first to move up a couple spots get ahead of the Saints and some other teams that might need a linebacker so I mean you know shoot your shot go for it that would be that would be what I want to see happen, and uh, I think that if if the Steelers want that last piece and they feel like they're that piece away, and they should at this point, they should. They need to be in that position where they feel that way because that's all it takes in the AFC, and that's really if they had Ed Shazier last year, you know, who knows what would have happened because he is such a difference maker. And so, if that's their piece and that's the missing piece, and they think there's a guy in this draft that can do most of what he did, at least, I think they should go try and be aggressive and move up to get him. Interesting. Now, just give me two John Ledyard favorites. Obviously, we did linebackers here. Give me two guys that you're going to stand for here between now and April 28th. Two, any position. Go and pick any two guys. Any two guys. Oh man, put me I on mean, the spot. I mean, I'm on here. this. I'm on this Auden Tate Hill. So I mean, you know, I mean, I bought real estate there. I moved on to Auden Tate Island. I'm living there. Well, let's go with Fred Warner for one guy. I think he's he's a stud for sure. The other guy, let's go. I'm, I'm doing this for you, Jeff. Derek Naughty is a beast. He's Thank a you. I don't know why people are sleeping because I watched him and I watched Tim Settle, and I Tim Settle might tear up the combine for a 335-pounder. Uh, Naughty's got like 30 less pounds on his body, and he's way better at the game and way but better at what he's supposed excited. to do. They get excited that Settle can go east and west. Who cares? I, don't you yeah, want I don't your interior care. guys to go north? I mean, that'll also go south onto the ground half the time in his exactly, day. So that's what I'm talking about. I mean, and, and Nande, and there were times he they went into the weight room and were like, "Dude, cut it, stop! You're going to hurt yourself, yeah. ridiculous amounts." But he gets north, and if he doesn't get north, he will engage. I mean, he will engage two, two, three blockers. He don't care. He's just yeah, got that he's, country boy strength. His his lower half is insane. I mean, I I don't know that I've seen many guys at the college. I don't see him. He never loses a one-on-one exchange as a blocker. And, yes, if he gave you a pass rush at all, we'd be talking about a top-10 type of guy because he's that good against the run. He doesn't really give you one right now, but I think there's enough juice there to get something out of him in that role in the NFL. Now, he's never going to play, like, 85% of your snaps or 80% of your snaps, and I get that, and that's why, you know, I'm not saying he's going to have a first-round grade for me, but... He is right now grading out as an early day two pick. That'll probably be, again, somewhere in that 20 to 40 range on my board when it's all said and done. I think he's that good of a football player. I think he's super safe pick. I think he changes a run defense for a team right away with his ability to stack blocks, get off blocks, eat double teams. He, he's not even really a space eater because he's not that big of a guy. He's just a tank, but he moves well enough to make play, makes plays too. He's not just a guy that sits there and eats up space. He, he really is a guy that will make tackles and will get off blocks and, and contact runners, you know, and help out in those situations. So I, I love his skill set. He's a guy that I'm definitely pounding the table for on day two of the draft. Uh, well, I appreciate the Florida State love, John. You know <laughs> uh, guys, this was a blast here. Locked on Browns, episode 170. Follow John Ledyard at Ledyard NFL Draft. Guys, NDT Scouting, see him there. Fan Rag, see him there. Locked on Steelers podcast. My Browns fans, maybe you want to listen to that one. But locked on NFL Draft, listen to that podcast. Him and Trevor do a fantastic job over there. John, I want to thank you so much. Guys, follow the show at Locked On Browns. 
uh, follow the personal account at Jeff underscore uh, LJ underscore Lloyd. I appreciate everybody, guys. Like I said, I'm put, trying to put as much together as I can for you pre-combine. Once we get this in, the free agency stuff, once we get names, we'll dig in deep to it. You know, but appreciate you all. The support is fantastic. Let's go Browns.